good afternoon. This is uh, Matthew Tilly um, coming to you live at five, live at five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, my apologies for those of you that uh, do try to make a point to join me live. So thank you for doing that when you do. But uh, normally we'll do that at seven o'clock on Tuesdays. But today uh, my son had a wrestling match and it was supposed to be later in the week, but they moved it to tonight. And I wanted to go to it, and I thought, well, which, which one do I do? And I thought, well, let's just go earlier. So I'm hopeful that if you were planning to watch this at 7, you'll be able to do that because it'll be recorded, and you can go back at, uh, later on um, and do that. But um, thank you for, for joining me and being part of this with me. Um, I really do appreciate uh, you taking the time. Uh, it really does. It means quite a bit to me. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so tonight, I want to talk about uh, the next section in Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, Mark 1, 14 through 20, and um, we'll see in this section, this is where Jesus is calling his disciples to him, and I want to make sure as, we're, as we study that, and this is really what we're trying to do, is trying to study the scripture here, uh, we want to keep in mind the full context of this text. Uh, the full context of this text is that um, that Mark is talking about the announcement, the the commencement, if you will, of a king, a new king that was coming, uh, coming. Remember, in what is it, verse one, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's the commencement, the announcement of a king, and he's already given us in the the following verses after verse one. Um, a picture of the ultimate victory that this king would have. And that's really what the gospel of any king, using the, the word gospel uh, that Mark's using here, the Greek word there underneath that, is talking about this triumphal entry, this huge, joyful announcement that there's a new king around. And he's giving us the, 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 the picture of that ultimate victory, uh, which would be Jesus passing through the judgment of God. Of course, we see him passing through the waters, which is a symbol emblematic of the uh, the judgment of God. Um, so he's passing through that. He's given us, this is the ultimate victory that he would do. He would secure for us on the cross. So we're, uh, so that's what he's showing us. And he's already shown us, and this was what we looked at last week in verses, uh, let's see, verses 12 and 13. He's already shown us how he can handle the worst. Uh, yes, he's handled God's uh, judgment. He's handling that for us, but he can handle the worst that life can throw at him. He's going through the wilderness, the worst we can ever face. So if we'll just follow him through the worst of it all, that uh, that he's got all that. So he's calling disciples. You'll see that in the, the verses we'll look at tonight. He's calling disciples, but in essence, he is not just calling people to learn from him. Yes, he is doing that, but he's building an army. He's getting people to follow him into battle to be to be on his side. So if you think about that, him getting his constituency lined up, that's what he's doing. This call for disciples is it's, it's a little more weighty uh, than than you might imagine. So as we begin to study here, I want to take just a moment. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me as I try to teach you some things, try to share with you some things that I've learned in this passage and help you as you as you listen and learn and, and read the passage for yourself. So let's do that right now. Lord, I need your help. I want to study this with um, accuracy, with um, 
with confidence, but with accuracy and, and submission to the text. I pray that you will help those that are listening, uh, whether they're listening live or listening later. I pray that you will help them to uh, do the same, to hear what your word says and obey it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, there's, a, there's a few things that Jesus, I want you to notice as Jesus is calling his disciple, I want you to notice a few things that's going on in this, in this passage. First of all, let's look here at, we'll pick up in verse uh, 14. So he's already been tempted in the wilderness in verse 12 and 13. So now in verse 14, which is where we pick up tonight, he says, now after that, John was put in the prison. And that's a key thing. He says, this is after John was in prison. That's a key thought we'll come back to. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And this is what he says. He says, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, notice first, he's insisting, those people he's calling, he's insisting that they pick a side. He, he's not leaving for them any kind of uh, ambiguity. You can maybe be this, a little of that. No, he's saying, you follow me or, or don't. He's, he's making it very clear because he's preaching this gospel, that word gospel. Again, I know in modern connotation, gospel means the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, which absolutely that is the gospel. But what Jesus is doing here, when he's saying, believe the gospel of the kingdom, he's saying the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is at hand. He's announcing that he's here. He's ready. He is on the scene. This is the good news of his triumphal victory, his triumphal taking of the throne. That's what he's announcing here. And he's preaching this. It's not, not, un, um, not without uh, importance that he's doing this right after John is put into prison. Because here's this man, John the Baptist, who is the foreshadower. He's the one who would announce that Jesus was coming. He was foreshadowing or foretelling he was proceeding Jesus is coming and what happens he is put into prison it's just foreshadowing that there is a whole lot more suffering that would come and what that really gives you and this is what happens to John John is a picture of this he's a he's a he's a he's the first he's the forebearer of this if you will he by siding with Jesus he is put at odds with the powers that be, political powers, religious powers, cultural powers. And that's what Jesus, I think, is essentially saying is you need to pick a side. You can be with me. And that's what happened with John. John's put into prison. He was with Jesus and he is suffering because of that. And I want you to acknowledge that whenever you follow Jesus, Yes, there, there are rewards in heaven, and I don't want to take any of that away, but I think it's clear, and Mark, this is, a, this is a big theme in Mark, that there's suffering that comes, that there is a price to pay, that it is not cheap, it's not easy to be a follower of Jesus. It's only possible, in fact, with Jesus's help, but, but do acknowledge that if you follow him, you are at odds with the powers that be, those things that are around you. Now, uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 17 and 18, right in there, he talks about that these, what's going on that we can see with our eyes, it's temporary. So acknowledge, yes, it's going to pass, this too shall pass, but, but nonetheless, you will have to endure it. I have to endure it if we are to follow after Jesus. But Jesus is saying, verse 15 here, he says, listen, 
repent. He says, it's repent and believe the gospel. He says, it's time to not follow those powers that be, not follow those things that are in power right now, but instead to follow the real king. And when you do that, when you follow the real king of kings and the real Lord of lords, there's a price to pay, but that's what he's calling us to. So we can't serve two masters. I think that's the point I want you to, to see here. One is going to win. You're either going to be a friend of the world and an enemy of God, or you are going to be a follower of Jesus, and therefore the, friend, the, the world will hate you. That's what the scripture tells us. But Jesus has to hold your allegiance and therefore govern your life. So first, Jesus is insisting by calling these disciples, calling his followers, he's insisting that you pick a side. Second thing I want you to notice is he's not picking or calling the people that you'd expect. I want you to see this here in uh, verse 16, it picks up. So as Jesus here, it says, now he walked by the Sea of Galilee. This is Mark chapter one and verse 16. He walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. Then verse 17, Jesus said unto them, come ye after me and I will make you fishers. I'll make you to become fishers of men. Straightway, they forsook their nets and followed him. Then verse 19, there's another group. He'd gone a little, little further thence. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were, also in, who were in, also in the ship mending their nets. And straightway, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. So Jesus is calling in this, this uh, passage here, he's calling four men, all four of which are Fishermen, fishers or fishermen. Now, nothing wrong with fishermen. Fishing is, a, is an honest way, honest living. It's a good, good calling. So I don't think the scripture is saying anything bad about them, but acknowledge that, you know, cultural norms being what they were, these were just as they would be today, blue collar workers, uh, people who work with their hands, and they would have, at least at that time, not necessarily been among the elite of society. Again, I'm not saying anything necessarily bad about it. That's just the reality of it. And Galilee at this time was a very religious community. And what would happen in the, those kind of very religious communities is the very young children would study and memorize the Torah. This would have been the, the Old Testament books, some of the Old Testament books. They would study that. They would, that would be their schooling. They would be studying the scriptures. As they got a little bit older, um, the best of those, those smartest of the kids would be pulled out and say, okay, you're going to keep on studying. Uh, the rest of you, you you're going to do something else. Uh, but they would have identified those people to study further and said, if you didn't make the cut, you maybe you're going to go learn a trade of some sort. Maybe you'll go and try to figure out how to be a fisherman or something else, carpenter or something like that. But the those children, as they got a little older and they would identify the smartest of them. And then as they continued on, the elite of the elite, the smartest of the smartest would have been chosen by a rabbi, a teacher, and said, I want you to come with me, travel around the country with me, and I will teach you every day about uh, my teachings and you'll be a follower of me as a rabbi. That would have been sort of the, the height. Again, I know our culture is different today. It's not exactly the same way, but that's how they would have seen it. They would have seen that being called of a rabbi would be something that only the smartest and brightest, only those who were the best educated, they would be a huge honor to be called by a rabbi. So if you were a fisher, fisherman, if that's what your calling was, good living, decent wages, you could take care of your family, things like that. But it said you can't cut it as a follower of a rabbi. 
you're, you can't cut it as a disciple. You're just going to have to learn a trade. That would have been the, the, the thought. But what Jesus is doing in calling them, and don't miss that Jesus is a rabbi. He calls himself that later, and others would call him that later. He's a teacher. He is a rabbi, and he is calling these people. And what he's doing is he is giving them a huge honor. They would have never, no rabbi in the country would have picked these four men. Nothing wrong with them. They're fine people. Don't miss that. I'm not trying to disparage them. But the culture would have looked at them and said, ah, they're just fishermen. They're not worthy to be called. Jesus, on the other hand, says, I'm calling you. I'm making you accepted. I want you to be with me. I want you to not look at your past. I don't want you to look at your training, your upbringing, your education, any of that stuff as what makes you valuable. I want you to see that I make you valuable, which is why Jesus is calling in verse 15 to repent and believe the gospel. He is saying you've got to give up on any recognition from the world. Give up on doing and being what the world expects. Instead, turn your back on your abilities and turn completely over to me to find your value and your acceptance in me. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Uh, I think it's verse 26 through the close to the end of that chapter, verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 27. Excuse me, let me start again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 through the end of that chapter. And he, he gives this thought that it's not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble that are called or chosen. He chooses the things that the world would cast off, that the world would reject. That's what Jesus comes after. And, and there's sort of two sides to this. On the one hand, please understand, you will never be good enough to be a disciple of Jesus. But on the other hand, do you know who Jesus came to seek and to save, to call to him, those that were lost, those that were abandoned, those that were thought of as not good enough. That's who he came to. In fact, he even says in one place, he says, listen, the sick don't need a physician. So if you're not, if you're not a sinner and you're not lost, why do you need me? That was his implication. And he's saying, if you, if, if I'm calling you, it's because I know you're not good enough, but I'm going to make you good enough. That's what he does. You'll never be good enough, but he is enough. And when he calls, respond because he is enough. So we, we see that he's insisting we pick a side. Second of all, he's not picking who you'd expect. But third, I want you to notice the kind of work that he's calling them to. It's, it's unusual work, actually. Again, remember, he is the conquering king. He's walked through the victory. And now he's calling his followers to him. He's lining up his constituents, his soldiers, if you will. But what is he asking them to do? He goes here and says in verse, uh, verse 16, well, let me back up and say in verse 16, he calls these people out of the water. He does the same thing in verse 19, the James and John, they're in the water. He calls them out of the water. I think there's something significant to that, that here are these people, um, their, their tasks, their work, they're fishermen. So they're in their boats, they're, they're casting their nets, they're getting that stuff ready so they would be in the water. But I do believe it's, it's an important symbolism here that they are, and this is where we all are apart from Jesus, they are in and under the judgment of God. That water, that's what it's representative of. And Jesus is calling them out, come out of that. I'll take care of that judgment for you. 
And then in verse 17, go to verse 17, he says, come after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Interesting that he sends them back into the water, in essence. He says, I want you to go back out, but this time, don't go under your own steam. I'm going to commission you to go. Do you see how him being the king, he's in control, he's calling people, and he's sending them out, and he's putting them under his commission. And he's asking them to be, how does he put it there in verse 17? Fishers of men. So he's saying, listen, I know you do fishing a fish, but I'm going to actually ask you to be a fisher of men. Now, a couple of things about this fisher of men, the kind of fishing that they would have done and they would have been used to, it's not hook fishing. In other words, they're not putting hooks on the end of rods and throwing them out in the, the water like we might do if you go down to the beach and surf fish or off the pier or something like that, off a boat. Uh, they're instead doing net fishing. And, and this kind of fishing that they're doing is they're casting this wide net, throwing it out there, and it's indiscriminately picking up whatever that net pulls in and that net especially if it's a good haul i mean it'll be loaded down with stuff but they're not going out there with a, a, a hook and saying okay i'm going to try to catch one and then i'll throw that one back if i don't like no they're catching big loads of fish and that's what he's talking about here i want you to be a fisher of men in that way to indiscriminately scoop up those that are under judgment of god I think there's a lesson there for us as as believers. If we're sharing the gospel, it's not my call to make to say, well, I don't think you're good enough to hear about the gospel or I, I don't think you need to know about this or don't come to my church or I'm not going to talk to you about Jesus or no, no. Our job is not to pick the winners and the losers, as it were. Uh, our job is to do this, to be fishers of men, to cast that net. Let God be the one who brings them in. Our job is to simply put the net out under his under his commission. They're fishers of men. I think it's interesting that they were fish before. <laughs> they were fish. They were men that were fished out of the sea. And now they are fishers. They were saved from judgment. And now they're being sent to rescue others. And I think it would do us all well to, uh, to understand and appreciate that. Um, understand and appreciate that we are where we are because Christ salvaged us out of that situation so that when he sends us back out, he's not punishing us, but he's actually giving us an opportunity to help others who are exactly where we were. These fisher of men, this, this nature of this work, again, I don't think of it as, you know, an ice, a nice, you know, um, uh, afternoon by the, by the lake, uh, picking up some fish and that kind of relaxing kind of fishing. That's not what we're talking about. This is a uh, for all intents and pur purposes, a commercial fishing operation, which would have been difficult work, unglamorous work, uh, probably smelly work and, and difficult work. And I think the same thing goes when you're talking about fishers of men. There's no prize bass that you're going to pull in when you when you send out that net. Uh, there's no guarantee for success. And I think that's the lesson for us is we're going out under Christ's commission not to go and get the best Christians or the best people or whatever. Our job is to simply do it Christ's way. Let him do the saving. We cast the net. We then get to be a conduit of his grace. And a sinner, we, have been, we are sinners who have been flooded with Jesus. And we get to share his forgiveness with other people. Now, I want to, note, I want to notice, uh, fourth of all, last, last point I want you to notice here is what Jesus is calling these men to do. I think by this point in verse 16, chapter 1 and verse 16, he talks about seeing Simon and Andrew. I think that he has met Simon 
or uh, Peter and Andrew. This is Peter. He calls him Simon here, but it's Peter and Andrew. I think he's met him before. Uh, if you go to John chapter one, I think it's verses 40 and 41, you'll see where he's met these men before. We also know that Luke talks about this in Luke chapter five. I think it's verse 10. He talks about how Peter and John, Peter and Andrew, excuse me, Peter and Andrew were partnered up with James and John's family. Uh, so they must have had some kind of uh, partnership or some kind of a joint venture business. Maybe they, you know, pooled their money to work in the same boat. I, I don't know the details. The Bible doesn't give it to us, but this was clearly something that they had given their lives to. That, that's, I think that's the point is that they had given their lives to this. And I believe Jesus knew that, like I said, with him having met at least Peter and Andrew before, I think he knew this about them and they knew that this was something that was important to them. It was a lucrative business. It, it at least paid the bills. It put a roof over their heads, put food on the table. And here's James and John. If you go down to verse uh, 19, uh, you've got Zebedee, Zebedee, who's their dad. He's in the business. This is a family business. And some of you may have been part of family businesses and you know that 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 stuff runs pretty deep. And, you know, there's a lot of emotion caught up in that. This is not not a fly by night kind of thing. If you if you have to walk away from that for one reason or another. I'm emphasizing that because when you look at the way Mark describes their reaction to Jesus's call, look what happens. It says in verse 18, so speaking of Simon and Andrew in verse 18, after Jesus calls them, straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. You see a similar reaction in verse, uh, verse 20 with James and John. Straightway he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship. So their, their, their reaction is, listen, we'll walk away from money. We'll walk away from this financial partnership. We'll walk away from family. We'll walk away from our livelihood. We're going to give up whatever it takes to follow our master now. I, I don't know how much preparation they had for this. The Bible doesn't give it to us. I think it's purposeful that it's brief. It's to the point. There's a call and there's a response just to give us that indication of whatever might've been going on in their minds and their hearts, that these men, they were all in, they were ready to do this. This was important to them and they went for it. So I think that's, that is, that's a, that's an important idea that, that Christ is calling us to give up everything. That's a pretty high order. Turn our back on what we hold dear and follow what is now more valuable to us, which is the conquering King. I think the concern that I would have for myself and, and probably some of you that are watching and listening is that we tend to want to add Jesus to our religious practices and our religious collection. See him sort of like if you ever have a, an ice cream Sunday, I like ice cream and get a little big old piece of ice or big old scoop of ice cream and you get the syrup and the whipped cream. And then on top of that, you put that cherry on top of there that we kind of think of him as that cherry on top. He just that finishes it off, but really he's not the substance of it. He's just something a little bit extra. And Jesus makes it clear here. And I think these men, these four men's reaction proves this out. Jesus is much too big and much too powerful, much too important to be a, an afterthought, a second sort of something on the side. He's got to be the main thing. Now, he does say, if you will uh, if you will seek him first and seek his kingdom, that he will add these things to you. I think he, I know he does. He's done it for me. He blesses us. So it's not to say that we're not going to have families or have friends or have possessions, but 
we have got to get to the place where we are willing, if this so be is the, the request, to walk away from those things, to follow Jesus, to put him as the preeminent one and let these blessings he gives us to serve those things. That's what we have to, we have to get to. So what are you going to do with this call? I think that's, that's the thing that I was pondering on last night as I was kind of looking over this again, is what is it that I'm going to do with this call? Well, one, as I've said, he's telling me, choose a side, pick, pick a side. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot straddle the fence. Are you with Christ? Or are you not with him? That may mean walking away from some things that are not necessarily bad, but we have somehow put in that place of preeminence in our lives. What am I going to do with that call? Am I going to value him and what he provides more than I value my own abilities? I can only speak for myself, but man, sometimes I can get pretty full of my own own um, uh, my own skills and own abilities, and I can start thinking I, I've got I've got something that the world needs. The fact is, unless Christ saves me, unless He in, empowers me, as Paul writes, I'm a tinkling brass and a, a, a tinkling cymbal and a sounding brass. I'm just I'm just a big old bunch of noise. I need Him. What am I going to do with this call? And I think the one thing that I, I want to do more of is be focused on rescuing the perishing. I've been rescued. Now I've been commissioned. Help me to rescue the perishing. So can you, will you do what James and John and Peter and uh, Andrew are doing in this, in this passage? He's calling. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Will you do that? Next week, I'll be looking at the, the verses that follow, verse 21 through 28. And um, I think it's, uh, I, I kind of find this an interesting path section where Jesus, he goes into the, the religious establishment. He goes into a synagogue and he scandalizes them. Uh, I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to. And I think that's what, if we would actually pay attention to what God's doing, I think if we actually paid attention to that, it, it would shock us. And he does that to the religious people. You'll see that in, this is Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 21 to 28. That's what we'll look at next week. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this and learned a little bit from it. Let me know what you think. If you've got any questions or any commentary, please add it to the, the comments. And if you're on Facebook, you can do that easily. Or on YouTube, you can do the same thing. Um, or just shoot me a note. Love to hear from you. Y'all take care. We'll talk to you next week.